Today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you, don't know, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth is rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. It's uh, wonderful to be with you today and hopefully we'll be with you again next week. Uh, that's the plan. Uh, you've already received the Bible reading as printed out for you. If you haven't got a Bible with you, there's an outline that gives you some idea of where we're, we're heading this morning. So let me pray and then we'll tuck into it together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your amazing grace and mercy towards us in your Son. And uh, Heavenly Father, as we move into a new year, uh, we ask that you'll give us inside your word so that it might actually be a lamp uh, to our path, guide to our feet as we seek to honour you in uh, 2022. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you're a New Year's resolution type people. Who actually tends to make New Year's resolutions? No one? Right. Is that the... I've been making the same resolution for about 40 years, actually. You know, go on a diet, get healthy and exercise more, you know, and I keep making it every year. Not because I've been successful every year, as you can probably tell, but because I still think it's a good idea. But it does raise that whole question about how smart it is to make New Year's resolutions. And uh, you're probably, given that none of you make them, that's uh, probably what you're thinking. But how should we think about the future as God's people? How do you plan for the future? Uh, you know, we've come through this two years of uh, COVID and you're sick to death of people even talking about it, but you can't escape it. You know, you're trying to listen in for how the, the, the you know, rules change from week to week and how it affects your day-to-day -day life and your thinking. You can't help but do that sort of thing. And as you move into a new year, uh, you know, you, you, you try and work out, is there any point in making plans? Will they just be cut across? You know, people who've tried to travel or catch up with family interstate or, you know, is that going to happen or isn't it going to happen? How, how does this all work? But it doesn't just affect those sort of things. Um, Sue and I went and saw uh, a financial advisor the other day. He's someone who's been trying to give us advice on how to sort ourselves out for retirement in due course. And he said to us, look, as far as I can tell, I think you guys are going to be okay as you, you know, move into those retirement years, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years' time, whenever that happens to be, you know. And, uh, but, you know, I can remember with my superannuation the year where I got my statement back at the end of the year. I'd been paying money into the superannuation all year and my 
uh, you know, my balance had actually gone down over that 12-month period. I had a negative income balance. And some of you will remember uh, those years. Not so much the last one, but, you know, it throws a, throws a cloud over how you plan for the future and what you can plan for. So it raises the question, is there any point in planning? Yeah, any, and if you did, how would you go about it? Today, as we turn to that passage in the book of James, uh, it's a section that actually addresses this whole question of planning for the future. Uh, the book of James is a book all about how God wants us to live wisely. So if you go back to chapter 1 and verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, at this point, wisdom, he's not talking about just being shrewd, you know, with your money or nousy when it comes to how you gauge what people are like or it, not so much that sort of thing. He's talking about the ability to see this world from God's perspective, okay, to actually see our lives through the lens of the Lord. When we come to chapters 4 and 5, which is the part that we had read out this morning, it really is talking about how we think like God about the future. Think like God about the future. How do we plan wisely for the future? So look with me at chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go into this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money, why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What's your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. Now, some of you may be, you know, live for today type people. What's the point of making plans? You know, que sera, sera, I just wander along. And, you know, and you think, finally, I've got a few verses that justify a level of disorganized spontaneity. You know, this is me, and finally I've got the verses to back it up. Can I say, these verses don't do that? Uh, that's not what they're here for. There is nothing wrong with planning. At lots of points, the Bible actually commends it. What these verses are telling us to do is to be wise planners, and that means you need to take certain truths into account. The first is, and it's obvious really, but it states it needs to be stated, we don't always know what the future holds. Right? And it's easy to forget that, isn't it? We tend to presume we actually do control our lives. I check my diary. I've moved on to an electronic diary. I finally got into the 21st century. And uh, that means I can record all my sort of diary, I mean, I could with a paper diary, but all the events that I'm planning to be at next year. So I went through and had just a brief count on what I've got in my diary for next year. I worked out I had 500 things in my diary already. Right? 500, I thought, what is going on here? How did this happen? And, but, you know, it's not a bad thing to plan for the future. I do want to make the best use of my time, and so it makes sense to plan things in advance so that I do that. But here's the risk. It's the creeping belief that I actually control what's going to happen next year because I've planned for it. You ever find yourself thinking that way? Because you've actually planned for it, therefore... It will happen. But you and I both know that thinking because you've planned for it 
means it will happen. That's an illusion. I used to work for a guy who had a number plate from his car on the wall of his office. A number plate from his car. And I remember going in one day and saying, what on earth is that number plate doing on the wall of your office? Here's the story he told me. He was uh, driving back from Sydney with his son. They were on the Hay Plains. They had to stop at Roadworks. So I stopped at this Roadworks. While he's sitting there, last car on the line, he's looking at his rearview vision mirror. There's a truck coming up behind him. And the, uh, the truck driver no doubt had done this trip hundreds of times before and wasn't really concentrating all that much, didn't see that there was any traffic piling up, and this truck just smashed into the back of his car and rode it off, and he and his son were in hospital at least overnight and then caught a bus to Adelaide. And he said, I keep this number plate on the wall of my office to remind me that, I, you know, even though I make plans, I have no idea how it's going to unfold. My plan was not to get run into by a truck just outside of Hay on the Hay Plains. It just happened. And uh, that sort of reminder. We don't know what is going to happen in our lives. We could lose our jobs, someone could die, sickness could strike, we can fall over and break a hip. They're all endless numbers of events that can, can happen. You need to take that into account. The second thing is that in these verses, verse 14, it reminds us that we are just a mist that appears for a little while. A mist that appears for a little while. Now, the image here is, um, you know, in those really cold winter days up here in Mount Barker, you go out your front door and you breathe out and you can, when you're not wearing a mask, where you don't have to outdoors, you know, and you can see your breath you know, just coming out in front of your mouth. And you know how that lasts for about a nanosecond before it just disappears? That's the picture here. It's saying your life is just a mist. It's a bit lost on Australians in the middle of summer. Maybe uh, a better image is the, like a puddle of water on a 42-degree day. Right? It's there, but it's not there for very long. We are a mist. I want you to... Put up your hand if you can remember the first name of your great-grandfather on your mother's side. Huh? Yeah, a few of you are real uh, are people who study uh, genealogies and stuff like that. Most of us don't, though. But that's the point. The person's only been dead for a few decades, but you've already forgotten them. Do you know what I mean? And that's exactly what is going to happen with us as well. Not long before we're dead and before we're forgotten. As we think about the future, we need to take these things, things into account. But if that was all you were thinking about, that could be extraordinarily depressing, couldn't it? <laughs> if these were the only sort of things you took into account as you think about the future, you just think, well, what, what will be will be. So I want to move on and talk about what the rest of this passage speaks about as we consider the future. Firstly, that believers live with certainty in an uncertain world. Right? We live with certainty in an uncertain world. Look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or that. Now, can I say this? This isn't a formula to tack on at the beginning of your plans. You know, if it's the Lord's will, I'm going to go out after breakfast and buy a newspaper. 
If it's the Lord's will, we'd love you to come over for tea tomorrow night. If it's the Lord's will, I think I'll go and have a shower. You know, like it's not, not that sort of um, legalistic, nitpicky sort of piety that we're talking about here. You, know, you don't say to your boss, if it's the Lord's will, you know, I'll turn up tomorrow. Right? Your boss probably won't be impressed by that. That's not what's being said. This is a bedrock conviction about the character of God. James is identifying, particularly as he speaks to Christian people, the danger of Christians living as practical atheists. You know, where we gather together on Sundays and we sing, Our God Reigns, and then on Mondays we substitute our names in to that space. Paul Reigns, you know, Andrew Reigns, Amy Reigns, you know, like we just, you know, I'm not saying we sing that. But I'm saying that there's the risk that we think that way, uh, that we forget the reality that God rules this world. He is sovereign. God is. We aren't. And meticulous planning and strategic thinking doesn't make you sovereign. It doesn't. As a few months ago, there was a guy who was visiting church at Trinity in the city, and he hadn't been around, I reckon, for a decade. Uh, and he caught up with me and he said, look, when I was here last, you were talking about the idea that as a network we'd plant uh, 10, 20 churches by 2020. Yeah? How did that go? And I said, well, yeah, it's 10 churches by 2020, which is okay. But see, that's the difference between me and God. Uh, that is, I make provisional plans. God is the one who actually brings them to pass. I love Proverbs 16, verse 9, where it says this. In their, in their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Now, let me read it again. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Can I say this, this truth about the sovereignty of God is... It's one that I found has provided extraordinary security and liberty and strength over the years. Uh, Andrew, who's leading the service, asked me today, he said, how's Sue's health? And of course, he was referring back to a couple of years ago when Sue had lymphoma and was treated for that. How's, how's the progress going with that? And Sue's health is remarkably good right now, you know, and uh, no signs of that lymphoma at all. But I still remember when we were going through that, remembering that, of course, this is not a path we would have chosen, but nor has God taken his hand off the world or our lives. He is the sovereign one who superintends everything at every step. And here's the thing. I, I do not know the future to control it. I don't. But I do know that I have a loving Heavenly Father who does control it. And I'm secure in his hands all times and in all places. When you know that truth, it means that you will plan to do good. So if you look at verse 17, notice what it says. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's a sin for them. See, knowing God means we know the good we ought to be doing. It's uh, uh, revealed by God through the scriptures, and it's very clear. 
When you come to this section we're looking at right now, its main focus is on how we do good with finance. I'll come back to that in a moment. But it seems to me that more widely, this is talking about the fact that we should be planning to fill up our lives, our diaries, with good things to do. So as you move into the coming year, actually you should be making New Year's resolutions or affirmations. Uh, they should include things like making sure you fill your mind and heart with scriptures, making sure that you call out in dependence upon the Lord. Uh, Sue and I have been thinking about this strange time where social interaction has cut down. You know, our engagement socially with people seems to have been restricted. We're thinking about, as we moved into this year, praying more deliberately and using our diaries to make sure that we catch up with unbelieving friends on a more regular basis because we see that as being a, you know, an important priority. It seems like a good thing to plan to do. It was lovely, actually. We'd sort of been praying that way. And then uh, a friend I hadn't seen for years sent me through a text me an email message and said that uh, he's got a bit of a break from work and he, he's been thinking about us a lot and there are some things he's wrestling with and he wondered if he could catch up with us to talk. Non-Christian friend from lots of years ago. I thought, isn't that nice? God answered the prayer before we even planned to answer it. You know, like, a, it's just a lovely thing. But it's good to plan to do good. Can I encourage you, 2022, plan to do good, to do the will of God as he's revealed it to you. This section, as I said, though, does talk about having right perspective when it comes to money. You pick that up in verses 1 to 5 of uh, James chapter 5. Uh, and I think it's addressing the problem of trusting in your wealth or your resources instead of God. So he's speaking to traders who are planning to go to this or that city to make money and then move on. And it's no different now, day. Uh, Papers have been full of what's happened financially in this last 12 months. They're thinking about the future. What will the markets do? Shares? Will housing continue to go up in price? Does it squeeze out first home? Will the interest rates go, go up? Has the Reserve Bank done the right thing in saying they'll freeze interest rates? Can they possibly do that in our world? There's a preoccupation with that sort of thinking. Now, can I say the Bible, it never condemns wealth or having riches, right? It does not do that. And I think the great example here is God. Uh, he is extremely wealthy. Uh, he, he owns the resources of this whole universe. But what there is, is strong criticism of the way in which wealth is mismanaged or misused. So there's the danger, as you look at verses 2 and 3, of hoarding, storing up. Uh, your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. In our culture, I think generally accumulating uh, is seen as good. It's one of those safeguards for the future, uh, to plan for contingencies. It's a way in which our culture measures success. Uh, the financial advisor I was talking about before, the one we went and saw, uh, Sue and I were actually talking about 
uh, giving some money away. And we wanted his advice on what he thought was sensible. And he said, no, I think that's eminently sensible. What's the point in storing up money and not giving it away? He said, I have a client who is um, 90 years old. I'm constantly trying to encourage her to give away her money because she has a lot of money, but her children, who are now in their 60s and 70s, are struggling. And she's not going to need much for much longer, but they really do have a need for it right now. And he's saying, he's a Christian man, saying, how, do, how does she do good for those around her with what she's got? How many of you have ever had a financial advisor say to you, you know, whoa, slow down. You've got more than enough to retire on, right? Like financial advisors don't do that generally. But of course, Christian ones probably will. They'll give you advice about how to think about your money for all eternity. Now, let me say, I get the fact that we have to think about a whole range of things. How do we look after family into the future? Questions of helpfulness of inheritance. Uh, but the point being made here is the storage of wealth and putting your security there, it rots your heart. It actually eats you away from the inside. And I take it the reason for that is because you're tempted to trust in it rather than to trust in the Lord has provided you with it. You're tempted to think that it provides security for tomorrow. But friends, if you're a mist, then can I say your money is more misty than you are? And it's folly to trust in it. Also, warns against ex extravagance, verse 3. Uh, you've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. Uh, again, can I say it is good to enjoy good things that are made by God. And the scriptures are very clear on that. The scriptures are not saying be miserable and make your life miserable by not enjoying things. The Bible speaks exactly the opposite. But also, if the pleasure-seeking and experience of good things, if they're your focus in life, then there's a problem. See, the whole idea with resources that we're given is we use them in the service of others, not ourselves. And we're to think that way. I took the funeral for a guy uh, in the city couple of years ago now. His name is Ian Bartlett. He was one of the trustees of uh, Trinity Church, a long-standing member. And I was talking to his wife, Robin, and this is a story I already knew, but he, she said she had to go through all Ian's clothes after he was dead and go through all his pockets. And the reason for that was because in every piece of clothing Ian had, he always had a $5 note stuck in his pocket um, so that when he came along and found someone on the street who obviously needed a handout. He had five bucks in his pocket he could give them. And so she went through all his clothes and discovered dollars and dollars and dollars of money just sitting in his, his pockets. But that was it. He was actually just thinking, how do I care for people around me using the resources that God is giving me? And that's a great mindset, it seems, for us to have. Think that way. Christians will never, ever, ever live as well as they could for themselves because they'll always be thinking about how they use what they have in the service of others. It also picks up on the danger of injustice uh, with the use of money. So verse 4. 
speaks about the, uh, the rich person who cheats their workers or cheats other people. Uh, back in chapter 2, it speaks about the way in which it's possible to look down on the poor or cut corners with poor people, James chapter 2. Christians will always be scrupulously fair with their money. They'll always pay their bills on time. Uh, when, the, uh, when it comes to tax, they'll always be thinking giving tax is a good thing for the support of the nation in which we live so that the infrastructures are provided for us all to enjoy. Never be trying to cut corners on legitimate taxation. Uh, if you're at a shop and someone gives you a bit too much change, you, know, you go, bonus? No, Christians will never think that way. Right? They'll always be the people who return the money. You've overpaid me in the change. Because that's the way in which we think. We, uh, we have an integrity when it comes to the issue of looking after our money. But here's probably the big thing you need to bear in mind as you plan for the future. And you pick it up in verse 5 of chapter 5. Wise people always plan not just with the next year in mind, but with eternity in mind. Look at verse 5. It says, You fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. Uh, already we've, we've seen it mentioned about verse 4, hoarding wealth in the last days. Do you get the point being made here? Um, I wear glasses because I'm short-sighted, right? So when I take off my glasses, right, you all look so much better. Uh, no, no, not true. You all look fuzzier, right? I can't see you as well. And that's the sort of point being made here in this verse. It's the risk of being short-sighted when we think about life in this world. Uh, the natural tendency is just to think about what we can taste, see, touch or feel. That's the way in which we function. But followers of Jesus, we're not just planning for 2022, right? We're planning for 2,220. Right? Now, what will you be doing in 2,220? Even the very youngest of us will be dead with the Lord at that point in time. That's what you're planning for, isn't it? You take that into account. We see life from the eternal perspective. When it talks about being in the last days, uh, it's talking about being the days between when Jesus was raised from the dead and when he returns. We've been in these last days for quite a period of time. But it's talking about those last days as a time of accountability as we anticipate judgment. It's a very graphic image, isn't it? The, uh, the idea of the day of slaughter. Um, those who run excellent beef cattle properties, uh, they take great care to look after their, their animals, um, particularly their prized cows. They feed them well, uh, they look after them, they provide excellent surroundings, great medical attention. And for those cows, can I say it's like cow heaven? Right? It's just so good. They've got it all laid on for them. But of course the point is the cow is totally unaware that this treatment is time-bound and in due course they'll be hauled off to the abattoir. Right? The cow is short-sighted. Can't see that that's what's going on. What James is saying here is if your plans don't take into account the coming judgment, uh, then you're exactly the same as one of those cows. Right? Uh, foolishly 
myopic when it comes to the future. Verse 7, chapter 5. It says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. Uh, some of us will, will look back on 2021 and will be extraordinarily glad that it's behind us. It might have been a tough year for you where you experienced heartbreak, uh, you dealt with death or relationship breakdown, uh, grief, uh, lockdown was difficult for you. Maybe you've gone through periods of depression because of that sort of isolation and the sense of loss of life. Can I say that this letter of James, it's written to believers who are doing it tough. As we look to the future, 2022, friends, we're to remember it's in the hand of a compassionate and gracious and sovereign Lord. We're to remember the day of the Lord is coming. Uh, I'm not certain about the details of how 2022 will unfold. And in that case, we're all in the same boat as far as I can tell. But friends, here's what I'm absolutely confident about. I'm confident what we will be doing a million years from now uh, for those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll be around our Lord in heaven celebrating his goodness to you. And so in the meantime, do you plan to be patient and faithful in serving him and in doing good as you wait for his return. Now, let's plan to do that. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a gracious and sovereign God. Uh, Father, we, we know that as we look to a future, especially in the light of all that's been going on in our world in recent days, and we live with a sense of uh, tentative uncertainty. And yet we know that it's captured within the framework of your sovereign and good hand, both on this world and our lives. We know that nothing uh, slips through the net of your grace and mercy uh, before it comes to us in this world. And Father, we ask that you'll therefore help us to keep trusting you, uh, honouring you, and seeking to serve you as we have opportunity in these days that you've given us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.